through 6. You'll remember the book of John is taking place. It's a church, just like ours, where some people have infiltrated the church. And they've been telling people that the Jesus that they're worshiping is not the true Jesus. Uh, that he wasn't the savior of the world. That you don't need to love one another. Really a, an opposite gospel. And they have finally left and left this congregation really asking some questions about who is this one we were worshiping Jesus. And so the book of 1 John is used by the Apostle John to again reiterate who is Christ and what are our obligations to love one another in light of this uh, true reality. So let's look at the scripture, 1 John 4, 1-6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The word of the Lord. Went shopping yesterday at the mall. Big kickoff time. An involuntary shudder went through uh, some parents right there. I saw it. Went clothes shopping for the family. It's time to get ready for school. And it's amazing. By the time I was done, it was like my visa was burning itself up. The plastic was curling at the edges. I mean, wow, it's unbelievable. I was talking with my son, and we were looking at the wall of shoes, and I was telling him, you know, in the 1950s, there was only one pair of shoes. It was Chuck Taylor's. You were in sports shoes, it was easy. Now there's a whole wall of stuff. And, you know, it's a competition going shopping, isn't it? Because you have the marketers and, and sellers who are trying to influence you to buy, and you're trying to find the best deals. There's a real science behind shopping. I don't know if you knew that. For instance, if you want to get someone to stop in the supermarket, you change the type of the floor. If you have tiles and you want them to stop somewhere, you make smaller tiles. And so just the clicking of the wheels makes you stop and think. Whether you trim even wood, even a wood floor, even soft music, different colors, we are all influenced far beyond we believe. This has actually been shown. There was a study done that was published in Time magazine. And these guys of uh, this University of the Netherlands said that there's actually something called the unconscious will. That our actions are often initiated even though we are unaware of what we are seeing and why. Studies have found that entering an office People behave more competitively when they see a sharp leather briefcase on the desk. They talk more softly when there's a picture of a library on the wall. And they keep their desk tighter when there's a vague set of cleaning agent in the air. People sitting in hard chairs are more likely to be rigid in negotiating the sale price of a car than in a soft chair. And they tend to judge others as more generous and caring after they hold a warm cup of coffee. It goes on and on and on. He says that people are concerned about being manipulated uh, overtly, but what they should be concerned about is unconsciously. Because it says that they're realizing that people, that there is not as much free will as we thought. 
See, we've long understood in some way, shape, or form that we're influenced by forces far beyond our immediate recognition. This story here, this information is talking about the influences that come upon us from the outside world. But this passage in the scripture is talking about another influence. An influence not from the outside, not from marketers, but an influence from the inside. A spiritual influence that comes from within and shapes the very lives that we live. And we see in this passage that there are two influences upon us that are molding us, shaping us, even possessing us. Those of Christ and those of the Antichrist. The scriptures tell us additionally that we must be possessed by one. Now it's interesting when you throw out the word possession, what are you talking about? Well, we all understand the word possession, no? It's ownership. You must be owned by one of them, controlled by them, having to do what it is that you want. And so the question about who we are being controlled by has all the consequences in the world. Because we're either controlled by the truth or lie. We're either controlled by a spirit that brings us to slavery or one who sets us free. So the question is, how can we know who is controlling and manipulating and influencing us from the inside out? It's from our confession of Christ. Our confession of Christ reveals who possesses our hearts. A simpler way to put it is your mouth's confession shows your heart's possession. And so we must examine, look up here, we must examine <laughs> who possesses our hearts. There are three things that this passage in particular touches on. Number one, we must understand the battle of the spiritual world. We must see that there is a bigger picture of things that are going on. Then number two, we must know how to submit things to the great tests. How to examine what is true and what is false. So we must understand the battle. We must submit things to the test. And then finally we must live with the consequences of what we choose. Because our mouth's confession determines our heart's possession. Well, let's look at this first point. Understanding the battle of the spirits. 1 John 4.1 says it this way. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now notice here, John is saying, do not believe every spirit. Okay, right away we're gaining information. First, there's more than one spirit, or there would not be every spirit. Second, these spirits have a message. Because in order to believe something, there has to be a message to believe. Furthermore, we're told not to believe every spirit but rather to test the spirits, to see if they are from God. This is a command in the Greek, by the way. It's not an option. To see whether they come from God. Well, that can tell us that there are two types of spirits. Those that come from God, and those who are not. The scripture talks very frankly about the spiritual world, and about this one called Satan, who is the head of the dark spiritual forces. Job 1.6 one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. We understand that Satan was an angel. In fact, one of the highest angels, they say, the, the bright morning star, Lucifer, which means brightness. And this one, Satan, did something. He rebelled against God. Revelation 12, 7 puts it this way. And there was war in heaven. 
Michael and his angels fought back against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. See, there was a battle, a cosmic battle of these forces that rebelled against God, and they were defeated by him, but have come down to heaven. And their message continues to reverberate, their desire to take the place of God, to be worshipped. And they are doing it through the instrument of people. Notice all of this passage. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. See, there's an intersection between that which is spiritual and that which is physical. These prophets that have gone out to make these proclamations, they're tools. They've gone out under the influence and possession of these spirits who have their message to communicate. In the scriptures we see in 1 Kings 22-23 when these false prophets would come out. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Now the Lord is not the author of evil. We know that. But the Lord does allow these instruments of Satan, these angels, to continue on with his, within the bounds of his master plan of renewing his people. Now you may be shaking your head and going, whoa, 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 Carl, this, this sounds like a conspiracy theory. Okay, I, I am not saying this is a conspiracy theory. The Bible is saying that it's a conspiracy theory. Okay? Listen to this, Ephesians 2.1, speaking of believers. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you as unbelievers followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. See, when you are an unbeliever, if you are an unbeliever, you are being controlled and moved and manipulated by this evil one. Indeed, 1 Timothy 4, 1 says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. You know, this message that we get from these people, it's a good-sounding message, frankly, a lot of the time. Sounds good to live this way. And, but the scriptures say that these men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise that the servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. See, there's a force that looks so attractive and yet is a lie. The best kind of lies are simply distortions of the truth, aren't they? And so John is saying to test these spirits, for many false prophets have gone out from God. My friends, we do have to place uh, the messages to the uh, tests. We need to place people to the test. Who is the real thing? And so we must learn to develop spiritual eyes and ears. Because one spirit will lead us to God, and the other spirit will lead us to hell. Because these spirits influence everything about our life. Our marriage, our job, our heart's desire. And the messengers of these false prophets are many and come in all shapes and sizes. Might be someone or something you're seeing on the TV screen. Maybe in a movie. 
Maybe a friend who's convincing you of something else. And certainly someone who sits in a pulpit like me. We're the most dangerous of people to listen to because we would never lead you astray, would we? I don't know if you know uh, much about... Excuse me, I'm getting all choked up. It's a very emotional time for it's all. Ah, much better. Everyone understands the dangers of driving under the influence, right? Statistics tell us that every 53 minutes on average, someone is killed in a drunk driving crash. Every 90 seconds, someone is injured because of this entirely preventable crime. <coughs> you know, no one ever gets into a car thinking, you know, I really want to wrap my car around a tree, do they? The problem with people driving under the influence is they don't realize that they're driving under the influence. There's a, a, a law here, this comes from uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. It's called Understanding Point 08. That's the blood, uh, that's the alcohol content in your blood. Here's what happens when your blood is at 0.02. Some loss of judgment, relaxation, altered mood, which creates a decline in visual functions and an ability to perform two tasks at the same time. 0.05, you see exaggerated behavior, impaired judgment, lowered alertness, and a release of inhibition, causing reduced coordination, the ability to track moving objects, and reduced response in emergency driving situations. And finally, at point 0.08, the muscle coordination becomes poor, harder to detect judgment, less self-control, reasoning, and memory all are impaired, which affects speed control, processing capabilities, impaired perception, and all too often leads to a crash. <coughs> See, the influence that builds upon us as we believe and take in this substance which can kill us, we don't experience, but it continues to ratchet and ratchet to alter our perception and ultimately might end an hour of someone else's demise. See, we must test the spirits because many false prophets have come from God. So do you know how to test them? How do we know? We must develop spiritual eyes and ears. Are you able to spot the fake and the real thing when it's before your eyes? Because it's out there, everywhere. You know, you work a nine to five job, you wake up, you make your breakfast, you go to work, you may listen to the radio, talk to your friends, come home, make dinner, see a movie, show, go to bed, and it goes on again and again and again. But if we don't have spiritual eyes and ears, we are totally oblivious to the message that are coming to us. We may come to church on Sunday, and we're getting a delightful, wonderful message of God, and it's totally false. Somebody shoot me if I do that, by the way. All too often in churches, you're seeing where there's a Christless Christianity that's being preached. We must be able, my friends, to test the spirits. Because what we hear determines what we believe. And what we believe determines what we behave. And how we behave determines our destiny. Your mouth's confession will ultimately show your heart's possession. So if that's point number one, understanding the spiritual battle, we must move to point number two. We must know how to apply the test. 1 John 4, 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses 
language. By this you may know. By this, church, you may be reassured that you know the path is the right one, that the message is the right one, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You may be familiar with this word, confess. In the Greek, homo logeo, one word, one speaking, or together speak, which literally means we're right in step with this message. We're together. We know the word eulogy, don't we? Eulogy, to speak well of something. We understand the word confession in the courtroom, don't we? To speak the truth of what it is that we believe. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is by God. And everyone that doesn't is not from God. So we see in this passage, this particular thing, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, there's a three-way test. You ready? Because you're going to be quizzed on this and you, you know, you're not going to see it least on it. Number one, there's a test of Christ's position. Everyone that confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus of Nazareth. He's not Jesus the great teacher. He's Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. There's a, a story in the scriptures where Jesus walks into the synagogue. And it says, in the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. See, before Jesus was there, there was no speech. There was no confession. See, it was interesting, in the presence of Jesus, these spirits had to speak but it was with disdain. I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. Without being in the presence of God and having to confess, they will never, ever, ever speak of Jesus as the Christ. He's Jesus the nice guy. He's Jesus the liar. He's Jesus whatever. Everyone that confesses that Jesus Christ, that's point one, this position, has come. His presence, point number two, that Jesus Christ has come. See, Christ has come into this world. The incarnation has happened. You know, it's kind of like these folks that come to you and they say, oh yeah, the Holocaust never happened. Never happened. And you know what? If you go out onto the street and you ask your average high school student about the Holocaust, many of them have never heard of it. See, if you say the lie enough, it becomes true. That was Hitler, by the way, the big lie. If you lie so big, people will believe it. Because everyone be, would be too embarrassed to lie that big. We only lie in little ways. But Jesus Christ has come. His presence is on earth. He's near to us. And He's not only come, he's not, His presence is not only here, but His power is here as well. Because He has come in the flesh. It's not a spirit. Remember, touch my body, look at my hands, feel my side. This one has come in the flesh. 1 John 5, 6 puts it this way. This is He, Jesus, who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. Because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. What's He talking about? talking about the water and Jesus' baptism. 
Remember, when everyone else, he was baptized by John, and as he came out to inaugurate his ministry, the Spirit came down upon him and said, This is my son, who I am well pleased with. But so does the blood. The blood of Christ shed on the cross. Seen. The blood that reverberates throughout history. Showing Jesus' incarnation with the water and ministry and His crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus has come into the power by His death on the cross to rescue and redeem His people. See, the Spirit, working through prophets and people, will always deny the full deity and the full humanity of Christ. He is God and He is Savior. You know, if you remember the movie, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, Real interesting, you know? The, the land belongs to the white witch, right? But something is amiss with the sons of Adam and the sons of Eve coming. And there begin these murmurs around through the creatures that someone is coming, that Aslan is on the moon, some people have said. And the white witch is tamping this down. No, he's not on the moon. He's not coming. He can't help you. He can't rescue you. I am the queen. And yet the message continues and continues. And ultimately the queen, who thinks she has Aslan beaten, is destroyed by him. Because he has come with his presence. He's come with his power. He's revealed his position. No one can say that Jesus is speaking by the Spirit of God except, uh, except by the Holy Spirit. I didn't say that right. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that gives the confession. You know, it's not only what one says, though, is it? It's how one lives that we truly can see what their message is. Talk can be cheap, can't it? A life that is in line with the confession, now that's power. This is what Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and but a bad tree bears bad fruit. By their fruit you will recognize them. The confession of Christ, tied in with the expression of Christ in, the, in their life, shows the true picture. There are a lot of televangelists out there that can preach better than I could. But their life was a lie. And the message ultimately was a false one and went off track. Why? Because their life reflected the truth of what they believed. But John says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. See, Christ in us has overcome these evil spirits. Because he who is in you, if you are a Christian, is greater than these who testify against Christ. You know, when you think about it, Christ overcame the lies of the Satan by dying because of the lies of people, didn't he? Think about his trial, the mockery of it, how the lies condemned him to death. Christ died because of lies, because he could testify to the truth. Think about the end of Christ's life. Remember him coming into Jerusalem and Hosanna to the Son of, I, of, of God? But at the very end, there was none that would confess him, right? Crucify him, crucify him. His very disciples wouldn't confess him. 
Peter, I, I don't even know the guy, calling down curses upon himself. But in Christ's actions, his death on the cross, his coming in the flesh, and his resurrection, we see that his confession of himself is genuine. Because Jesus has come to rescue us from slavery by his life and resurrection. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. His confession brought him death, so his possession could bring us life. See, Christ came to us to possess us so he could release us. Jesus is the only master you can have that will set you free. Every other master will bring you to slavery and bring you to your knees. See, we must be possessed by someone. We must be owned. It's in our heart to worship, to give ourselves to someone. If we give ourselves to Christ, He will set us free as His children. But if we give ourselves to the evil one, He will enslave us and destroy us. I don't know if you guys ever tracked this thing called the Jesus Seminar. Are you familiar with the Jesus Seminar? Every year, well, they used to do it every year, I don't know now, 150 critical, quote-unquote, scholars come together. And they take a look at the words of Jesus. And these are, these are folks, you know, the, from the liberal universities, from the whatever, PhDs, top-of-the-line people, so-called. And what they do is they look at the Scripture and different passages in Scripture that they vote. Via colored beads, they say, did Jesus say this or not? Yeah, we'll vote. No. Okay. And they revised the Bible that they created. See, they produce their own copy of the Bible. And they bring in and bring out Scripture based on whatever they think. Majority rules. In the seminar's reconstruction of the historical Jesus, they portray him as an itinerant Jewish sage and faith healer who preached the gospel of liberation from injustice in startling parables and aphorisms. The most brilliant of our universities voting on the person and acts of Christ via colored beads. Test the spirits. For everyone who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, his position, his presence, and power are from God. And I most assuredly tell you these guys are not. So you and me, my friends, we must not only understand that there's a test to be taken, but we must give it. We must apply the test personally to ourselves. We must examine what is it that I really believe. I've talked with folks who thought they were Christians and then realized that they weren't. Because they had a total different understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to do good things. To be a good person. To be a Christian is to be mastered by Jesus Christ. To acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior. And so at the end of the day, if you are a Christian, you must confess His presence, that He has come. You must confess His finished work, that He has risen. And you must confess His position as Lord and Lord of my life. You must not only look at your words, but you must look at your life. As I go about my day, what am I confessing? To be sure, we are not perfect people and we are broken. But by the person, by the tree's fruit, you will recognize them. What are you confessing to yourself? 
What are you confessing to others? And is it matching up with the message that you speak? But we must apply this test to our church. We must apply this test to our world. We must apply this test to our family. Be careful, my friends, particularly when people are speaking about God. How do we apply this test? Ask directly. Ask. Listen to what they said. I heard a friend of mine, uh, a person who was in a, an elders meeting in another church, and asked the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the only way to, to heaven? Most of them said no. Elders of a church, mind you. We must ask the question directly. We must look at the messenger, their voice, but we must also look at their life. Because there is a consequence of what we choose. Whatever your mouth and your life confesses shows and possesses your heart. Apply the test day by day to yourself, to the world around you, to your church, to those who speak about God. This brings me to my final point, that there is a consequence of what we choose. We must not only understand the battle, we must not only apply the test, but we must understand the consequences. Look at 1 John 4, 5. These people, these unbelievers, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I don't know if you've ever gone to another country where they speak a different language. But you know, it can be hard trying to make yourself known. Because you're speaking and they're not understanding. And they're speaking and you're not understanding. And it's wonderful to come back to the United States, isn't it? When you walk in and everybody is speaking your language. See, what's happening here is that if Jesus has transformed us from children of the evil one to children of God, He's given us a new language. A language that is incompatible with this world. We don't speak the language of the world. We're uncomfortable around it. Are you uncomfortable around it? Is it becoming more and more foreign to you? You know, that's really why we need the church, isn't it? When the church gathers, we gather to speak one language to one another. We need each other. We need Sunday, but we need every day to confess to one another, Christ is Lord in my life. Help me to remember, because I'm being taken in by these voices that I know are wrong, but I can't quite figure it out. We have a responsibility to encourage one another, to speak the language of Christ. But we also have a responsibility and privilege to the world around us. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, the great privilege that we have is not only to know the language, not only to speak and encourage one another, but to proclaim it to the world. There's something that happens when God's world and the confession of Jesus is spoken. His word is powerful, and it permeates. And the scriptures clearly tell us that whoever knows God listens to Him. But the Word of God awakens those who are slumbering who are of God. I remember when I heard it at age 18. It's clear as day I knew at that point that Jesus Christ was Lord. 
Why me? Why not someone else? Sure, it's not because I had it together. But by the gracious act of Christ, he spoke and I heard and I believed. John 5, 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. My friends, I know we have busy lives. We have worries and preoccupations. But have we missed the boat in understanding there's more to this life than simply living and dying? There's a spiritual world which is our home. There's a battleground which is here. And it's day by day, inch by inch, as Satan threatens to deceive and walk in faith in Jesus Christ. And so we must confess to ourselves, who am I? Jesus Christ, the one who has come. He is my Lord and Savior. We must confess to one another, speaking the same language of grace and forgiveness and love. And finally, we must, as a church, Redeemer Presbyterian, confess to the world that the time is coming and it has now come when those will hear the voice of God, the Word of God, and those who hear will live. Your mouth's confession shows your heart's possession. Who possesses you? Christ or the evil one? That is the question. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that when we did not hear the sound of your voice, that when we did not understand the language, when we were captive and possessed by the evil one, you came into the world. You broke down the barriers. You freed us through the cross. Lord, help us to examine our lives. Help us to see this spiritual realm that's all around us. Help us to apply the test day by day to one another and to the world and help us to profess that you are Lord, that you may gather your people together all for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.